Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Now, we need to kind of review a little bit just to, to catch us up where we've been. We, we've been through the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we are what I, at what I believe is the, the hinge for the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we were getting, Jesus was getting to this point, and uh, that, that was kind of the direction. And then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7, will be kind of moving from that, kind of the springboard from this from this prayer. Uh, but that's where we are in the grand scheme. We've been about three weeks now, two or three weeks, in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer itself. And one of the things we've talked about is that this prayer is a prayer for believers. Uh, that, that's, that's what this was directed to. Jesus intends this to be a prayer of believers, a prayer that believers would pray. And we need to understand that when we pray, that unless it is a prayer of salvation, uh, prayer is a child talking to one's father. Okay, we talked about that uh, a couple of verses ago when we talked about our Father in heaven and that, that relationship that we have. Now, I say unless it's a prayer of salvation because when we, uh, prior to accepting Christ, our, our prayers are not... I won't say they're heard, not heard because God hears everything, but what I will say is that they're not, they're not fruitful. The, only, the, the first fruitful, fruitful prayer a person prays is the, the prayer of calling out to God to save him through Jesus Christ. That's, that's the first prayer that actually works for, for a person. And then after that, it is a child talking to one's father. I mean, if you're not a Christian, you can pray, but I'm not sure of the efficacy of, of the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the result of a prayer to God when that person is not God's child. So that's, that's where we are, and we're going to see this a little bit more here in a few minutes. So prayer is... is Talking to a child, talking to his father. So we know that. We need to think about that as we go into these two verses, uh, verses 11 and 12. But remember that when the first two verses, verses 9 and 10, are all about God. So in our prayers, when we get done talking about God, then we can talk about ourselves, and that's where we are. The, the first half of the prayer is all about God. Uh, our, our, our Father in heaven, your name be hallowed, be, be made holy. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. You see the direction uh, of the prayer on, on earth as it is in heaven. You do it here as you already do it in your home. Okay, we, 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 it's all about Him. And then we come to the middle of the prayer, and Jesus says, now, once you've gotten a, a, a glimpse, once you've gotten a grasp of who God is, and you understand in your prayer, because we understand mentally, but sometimes we just go to God in prayer, and this is okay. It is a child going to a father. It, there are times when kids just run to daddy. Daddy, 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 can I do that? You know, we got that, and we do the same thing with God. But Jesus is telling us, don't let that be your, the, the, the highest quantity of your prayers. Make sure the highest quantity of your prayers will include this recognition of the incredible awesomeness of God. And once you've talked 
about God, once you've talked to God about God, then you can talk to God about yourself. And then we see, we know, we understand throughout the Bible that God promises to provide our needs. And this is the point that Jesus brings us to in the model prayer. Matthew 6, 11 through 12 says, Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Some of you may have trespasses and trespassers there uh, instead of debts and debtors. Uh, debts and debtors. Uh, we'll, we'll see that it's, it's all the same thing. Let's just go through this like we have done past two uh, Sundays that I was here. And I want to thank Mike for filling in for me uh, last week. I know he enjoys the opportunity to preach, and I do too. That's why he doesn't get to do it much. Um, so, uh, but uh, I do thank him for, for filling in and, and talking about uh, last week the uh, church's uh, Oh, I knew I was going to forget it. Uh, a grace, the prayers of a grace-filled church. Uh, you didn't even have to remind me. And, and what that means, what that looks like for us. Give us today our daily bread. We need to understand here that Jesus is, is telling us through this prayer that he wants us to, to model, not necessarily repeat and replicate constantly, but model our prayers after, that we understand in our prayer that God provides our material needs. The Bible is, is replete with examples of, of God telling his people, look around you, sparrows don't die that I don't know it. Look at the, the grass of the field. Look at the lilies of the valley. They, they, they are dressed better than Solomon, and yet they don't do anything to look so pretty. It's me. I provide your material needs. Jesus wants us to understand our source for everything. And while it says our daily bread, we can, I think, accurately take this as really meaning all of life's necessities. All of life's necessities. Now, this is not all of life's wants, because I still have a little ways to go on getting all them. I'm almost there, I'm but, you know, there are a couple of things still that I'd like to have. If, if I could get them, I just, I just wouldn't need anything else. And I know you're the same way. There's just one or two things that if you could get, you'd be okay. And, but God doesn't promise those. He is promising only simple daily needs. I mean, the most basic meal throughout human history has been bread. When you couldn't, when you couldn't hunt the, the antelope or the deer or whatever was in your area, if you could get grain of some kind and mix it with water and, and, and build a fire, you could have something to eat. Now, I mean, what do we, what's the joke about being in prison? I mean, in some places, it's no joke. In the States, it is. You know, you're going to be on bread and water. Well, that's because that's really all you need. Are you going to be flourishing and wonderful and, and glowing and, and all that? No, but you'll survive. And all God is promising here, all, all Jesus is promising in our prayer to God is you'll get exactly what you need. And for some of us, wonderfully, God decides we need more than just bread. But for others, God says, you know what? That's all you need, and that's all I'm going to provide. 
this immediately brings to mind the manna of the Exodus. You remember the story. Remember what they were doing. They were traveling through the wilderness. They were going from Egypt to uh, the promised land. And they had no food. They, they, weren't, they couldn't stop and grow things. They were constantly on the move. So there was no opportunity to plow fields and wait for a season while everything grew. And God miraculously provided manna from heaven every night except Friday night. And they would go out uh, in, the, in the morning and they would gather this stuff that kind of looked like hardened dew on everything, and they would collect it, and they would have enough to eat all day. And God told them, don't store any overnight. You're going to have to go out and collect every morning. Don't store it. And, of course, everybody did exactly what they were told, right? No. There were some that said, yeah, I know what God said, but what he meant was it's okay if you store it. So they did, and they wake up the next morning, and it has worms and maggots in it, and it smells awful. No, don't store it. Go out and get it every morning, except on the Sabbath morning. You can't go out and get it then. Get two days worth, and it will not spoil. It'll be fine. And sure enough, on Friday, they would gather two days worth. They'd have enough to eat all through Saturday, their Sabbath, and then Sunday morning, they could get up and gather again, and there it was every morning, just like God said. That's, that's what we should think about here. God provided the bread for them every morning. He, he, didn't, he didn't provide it at the beginning of the week either. It didn't, no gathering for a seven-day provision. Every morning, I will give you exactly what you need for your family. And then uh, the, the Bible tells us that by, the end, uh, by, by, by noon, it had all kind of melted off. It was gone. So they had to gather it at the right time, at the, per, uh, the, the particular time God told them to. He was giving them daily their daily bread. Pretty incredible picture here. We, we know this intuitively, I think. But I don't think we stop and, 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 and really contemplate the fact here that, that our Father in heaven with the kingdom and the, the will, our Father in heaven with the holy name, whose kingdom we pray to come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that God, the God that we took two Sundays to talk about as we went through these first two verses of the prayer, that one that created everything, that, that sits in heaven right now and is surrounded by angels constantly worshiping Him. No one comes into His presence that, that He doesn't allow. Nothing happens that He doesn't uh, allow or ordain or, or cause. Nothing goes on that He doesn't see, not just on earth, but in the entire universe. Whatever planets are... And, and whatever might or might not inhabit those planets, wherever it is, whatever is out there, God controls it. God is in charge of it, and God made it. That God cares that I get enough bread today to live. That's a pretty impressive fact that I'm afraid we lose sight of. We think it, it's, it's our hard work that earns our bread. And, and God told Adam... It, uh, when, uh, when he fell, from now on, by the sweat of your brow, you will earn your food. Before that, 
It was just a garden that Adam didn't have to plow and weed and, and spray for bugs and, and all this other stuff. It was just there. And he ate it. But then he said, but from now on, you're going to have to work at it. Briars and, and, and thorns are going to grow up. And you're going to have to work those things. And there will be droughts. And it's going to be hard. You're going to have to earn your food. Yet, the Bible is clear that just because we earn it, we work for it, doesn't mean that it doesn't come from God's very hand. So, so that, that bountiful table you put before your family because of the sweat of your brow, it's, that's God's food you're eating, not yours. He just allowed your effort to produce that. Our Father in heaven, all these things, kingdom and, and will, He cares about your needs. He cares about the most basic thing about you. Just, can I get through today with enough energy to move around. So if he cares about that, if, if, he's, if he is so great, so far removed, so powerful, so wonderful, as the first three verses tell us, or the first two verses rather tell us, and, and cares about such a basic need of, of mine that, that at least right now I rarely feel uh, the need. You know, I, I might get hungry, but I don't feel the need for food. But, but he cares that I have just enough to eat. If that God cares about that little need, what do you think he thinks about everything in between? Well, he hasn't lost sight of those things either. God cares about my most basic need, then it's very likely that he cares about, I don't know, say my obedience, my entire life. Because in fact, my eating, my, my ability to, to move and to talk is all wrapped up in my need, my requirement to worship, to praise, and to share about my Savior. I mean, that's why we exist, right? Uh, the Bible tells us that we exist in Him and through Him. Talking about Jesus, our, our whole purpose as Christians is to share. Yeah, we, we have to work to eat, and we have these other requirements and responsibilities as, as humans, but, but those aren't our purposes in life. Our purpose in life is to be Christian, to, to worship, to, to, to come before God, to tell people about the Jesus who saved us. So really what God is saying here is, I will provide the food you need in order to do what I tell you to do. Not to work, not to, to play, but to be obedient. He cares about our obedience because he cares about the smallest things. As a matter of fact, he cares so much about obedience that David wrote Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is... 26 groups, I think, I think my math is right here, this is probably going to end up to uh, 150, 26 groups of, I believe, 20 verses, mm, that's not right, I can't remember exactly how many verses in each group, but there's a group, a stanza of verses, and each stanza starts with, uh, is, is, is headed by a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, 
uh, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, and y'all are impressed that I know the first four letters of the Hebrew alphabet. I, I, can, I can't actually recite it, but I have to sing it to the tune of Yankee Doodle. Um, because that's the way I learned it in Hebrew. And, and I, I look kind of silly when I do that, so I'm not going not gonna to do it. It's, uh, thank you, I have, I have my fact checker right here in front of me. Eight verses of, of 20 in each uh, stanza, and I believe it's 26 stanzas. Another interesting thing, every verse begins with that letter. So the first eight verses, Aleph, A, every verse begins with A. Eight times. Then uh, Gimel, Bait, fact checker, everyone. So that's not the important part. What is important here is every verse of Psalm 119 talks about God's law, statutes, rules, commands. And says things like, they aren't burdensome, they are wonderful. Your law is beautiful. Your law uh, is, is, is uh, worthy of obedience. You're over and over. God can, Jesus can say to, the, to his disciples, look, pray for your most basic need. God cares about that. He cares so much about you and your obedience. He cares about the most menial, what seems to be, the most menial thing in your life so that these other things fall into place. But y'all, if, if he cares so much about your food, don't you think he cares so equally about the important things in life, like your obedience? And not obedience because it's burdensome, but because it is wonderful, his commands, His laws, His statutes are beautiful, as Psalm 119 says. The little things, God's got His eye on, but it's really just so you understand He's got His eye on the big things too. So give us this day our daily bread, or, or give us today our bread for tomorrow, or for the day is actually more literal. But remember, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about, we, we have in mind this, this manna. They had to go out every morning. They started grumbling about that, though, didn't they? Oh, this stupid manna. So tired of bread. And then they, you know, they, they grumbled and he sent quail. Then after a while, you know what they did? Oh, quail. You know, they, they, we're never happy, are we? But God wanted them to go out every morning. Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And if we model our prayer after the model prayer, then we're praying daily, God, provide today what I need. Or if you prayed at night, God provide tomorrow. That language in Hebrew, I mean in Greek, actually works either way. Pray it at night, it's for the next day. You pray it in the morning, it's for that day. God, provide what I need in my life. But we regularly have to go back to God. See, that, that regular returning to God, regularly returning in obvious need, God, I cannot get these things without your help, keeps our focus where it belongs. I mean, think about it. If, if, if God had said, you can gather the manna for the whole week, 
Well, first of all, they'd have griped about having to do it weekly instead of every day. Because, I mean, we're just going to gripe, right? That's what we do. Um, I mean, y'all don't. I mean, everybody else does. Uh, we, but for those six days, well, ooh, cupboard's full. That's good. And, and you eat. And, oh, oh, it's Sunday, Saturday for them. I need to think about God now. Oh, I'm going to go gather. Thanks, God. See you in seven days. Wait, that sounds real similar to some other things that happen, right? Don't we kind of do that anyway? We come to church on Sunday. Thanks, God. I'll see you in seven days. That's ah, another sermon. I don't want to offend you, right? Actually, I, I kind of do. Um, but this regular returning keeps our focus where it belongs. Having to come back, don't you know that's why they, in the, in the New Testament church in Acts, they met daily together with fellowship and break bread and talk about Jesus and stuff, and, and they got together all the time because they were always talking about it. That was the forefront. That was important. Yeah, they had to work during the day, or, or some of them were slaves during the day, or, or whatever had to be done, but, but they couldn't wait for the end of the day, or, or the, the noon meal, or whenever they got together to talk about the important things in life. Jesus. They didn't wait from Sunday to Sunday, and, or Sunday to three Sundays from now, or Sunday and Sunday two months from now, or whenever it is we... We finally return to church. This was showing total dependence on God. God, today, give me what I need. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about the next day. I don't know about next week. I don't know what you have in store. I may not be alive. I may. All I care about is I'm alive right now, God, so outfit me with what I need today to do what you have called me to do. Prepare me today to be obedient to you. And whatever I need to be obedient, provide those things. And usually it's very, very Simple things. Total dependence on God. Now some would say, and some do say, especially based on what Jesus is going to say just very soon after this prayer in verse 25, that this kind of prayer is showing a lack of faith. Because in, in, in verse uh, 25, he says... This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the, body, uh, food and the body more than clothing? So people will look at that and say, well, see, we're not supposed to, Jesus is contradicting, contradicting himself here. We're not supposed to pray about food. He says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about your food. Well, this is not a prayer of worry or concern like verse 25 is talking about. This is a prayer of faith. This is us going to God and saying, God, I'm not talking about food today because I'm worried you're not going to provide it. I'm talking about food today because I know you're going to provide it. I'm talking about food right now in my prayer. I'm talking about the simple things in life right now in my prayer because I know you care so much about me. You know me so intimately that even my ability to eat today is on your mind. 
I know how important I am to you as your child. Therefore, I can come to you in faith and say, God, give me today what I need. And then I can walk away knowing that you're going to provide it. I don't have to babble on about it. I don't have to repeat it over and over. I don't have to use special words. I just say, God, I know in, by faith you're going to provide what I need today. And if I don't get something that I thought I needed, then obviously I don't need it. So God, give me today what I need. Because the Jews in the Exodus depended on their manna. They depended on God to provide it every day. This prayer of give us this day our daily bread is a prayer to build our faith. Do, do you hear it? Do you hear the, 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 the cry, God, as, as the man who, who came for healing to Jesus, Jesus asks him, do you believe? God, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's what we're doing here in this prayer. God, give, us to, give me what I need today. I know you got what I need. God, give, provide what I need. And I trust you with it. And so I leave it there on the altar. Give us today our daily bread. Then he moves on to probably a more difficult passage than give us our bread. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now we need to approach this verse carefully, approach, approach this part of the, the prayer uh, carefully. This is not a prayer for justification. It's a prayer for sanctification. What do you mean, Michael? When we pray this prayer, remember this is a prayer of, un, uh, of believers, not of unbelievers. So when we pray to, to God, forgive us our debts. We are not asking God to save us. The assumption is we are already Christ followers when we pray this prayer. So we're not praying for justification, what happens when we are saved. We're praying for sanctification. Lord, I have sinned today, or depending on when you pray, yesterday. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Very important prayer to pray, even as a Christian. Yes, we sin. Yes, we must acknowledge those sins to God and agree with Him that these things are, that are in my life should not be there. Therefore, I want to do something to take care of them. Lord, help me by acknowledging them. I'm asking for help to overcome them. It's prayer for justification, uh, rather, not for justification, but sanctification. God, make me more holy. Forgive my debts. Forgive my sins. Debts is uh, just another word for sins. Uh, clearly, Colossians 2, 13 through 14 uses sins, debts. I think it uses trespasses. It uses a number of different words just in those two verses to explain our, our, our sinfulness. A, a way to look at this uh, a picture of this would be when Jesus uh, was in the uh, uh, upper room, the, the, the Last Supper, and he begins to go around the, the, the crowd of disciples and wash their feet. And everybody's all wondering, what in the world? This is crazy. This shouldn't be happening. Shouldn't a servant do this? And, and Jesus explains it to them later on. When he gets to Peter, 
Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And he said, if I don't wash your feet, you got no part with me. Because, you know, this is something that needs to be done. And Peter's all, well, in that case, not just my feet, but my hands and my head and everything. And, and Jesus says something that's it, it just it's strange sound. And he, he says, one who has been washed has no need of washing except for his feet. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. If you've already been washed, you don't have to to wash anything else. It's just your feet. Now, I make my kids, because I do too, take a bath every day. I don't just say, oh, well, you know, you bathed last week. Just go wash your feet. So that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about, you know, physical things. There's got to be something more to it. It's this spiritual. It's this idea of forgiving my, my debts. As, as Christians, we have been washed. I am clean in my position before God right now as I stand. I am sinless before God because of the blood of Jesus. But that is my spiritual condition. My temporal condition, my, my physical condition is that I still sin. And I sin regularly and I sin heinously at times. So I do need my feet washed but I'm clean. Do you see the picture? There's, there's a cleansing that must take place. There, there is a responsibility on my part to pray, forgive me of my sins. My regularly committed, day-to-day, -day, what I do because I'm stupid and sinful sins. But there's no need to pray daily, Lord, save me spiritually, from my sins, because that has been taken care of. There's no need to wash the whole body when the whole body has been washed. Just take care of your sins. Just take care of those parts that are dirty. And then we get to the part where he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we immediately think, I'm not forgiven unless I forgive, right? Because that, that's, that's, I mean, there, there are people that will teach it that way, but this is not a, a quid pro quo prayer. It's not a, if I forgive, then I'm forgiven situation. Because if it were, my forgiveness is based on my works. If I forgive enough, then I will be forgiven. Well, that doesn't work with cast on me your sins. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. Uh, that doesn't work with, I will wash your sins away. That doesn't work with, uh, you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of works, lest you could boast about it. You see, it must be something else. Well, what would it be? Well, it would be that we must forgive, or rather we are praying to God that he would forgive the same way we do, but better, but with more mercy. Because isn't that what we want? I mean, honestly, I want to be forgiven at least as much as I forgive, but God, I want you to forgive me even more. And I know that I have a responsibility because literally the verse would translate, as we are also forgiving. 
So I'm saying, God, I want you to forgive me of my sinfulness. Again, not, my, my, not justification, but my daily sins. Forgive when I have sinned against you as I forgive others, which is my responsibility as well. So do you hear the difference? I, I, hope, I hope I'm making it clear. Sometimes I, it makes perfect sense in my head, and then when it comes out my mouth, I wonder, did that really work? This is evidence of your own forgiveness. If you are not willing to forgive someone else, have you truly experienced forgiveness from God? And we see this in the parable of the unforgiving servant. The servant goes to his master, and his master says, you owe me something like... I mean, it's an extreme amount, something like a couple of lifetimes of salary. I mean, it is just an insane amount of debt that this man would never, ever, ever, in any way, ever be able to pay off. And, and the master says, I'm going to throw you in prison. You're done. You're, you're, you're going to rot in jail uh, for this debt. Oh, forgive, you know, give me a chance to, to pay it off. And knowing he can't do it. And the master says, you know what? Forget it. Don't worry about it. It's forgiven. The debt is forgiven. And the slave, woohoo, jumps up and runs off. And uh, while he's out celebrating, he sees a guy that owns him, you know, like owes him like, a couple of weeks' salary or something like that. Something that reasonable that if he works at it, he could pay him off in a reasonable amount of time. He goes to him and says, you owe me. He says, I know, I know. He uses the same exact language that the guy has already used with his master and said, just give me time. I'll do it. I'll, I'll pay it off. I promise. No. And he throws him in jail. Of course, the master hears about what has gone on. And he says, boy, you a fool. And he takes him and throws him in jail and says, you're going to stay there until you rot. Because if you don't understand what, how much... If you can't forgive someone else, you have not understood the forgiveness you received. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. Is that when we will forgive others, if, if we expect forgiveness for our daily sins, or our debts, our sanctification, if we expect that from God, we should, in every situation, offer that to someone else. And I'm not going to hang out here much because Easter Sunday, we're going to be, I'm going to be preaching on forgiveness. I'm going to be preaching on uh, verses 14 and 15. That's where we're going to end up for Easter Sunday. But I will just step there quickly to say, who in your life have you not forgiven? Who in your life are you saying, I not only have not, but will not forgive them for what they did to me? My question for you is what if, if, what if God used that standard with you? What if your salvation did depend, and it doesn't, but what if your salvation did depend on your ability to forgive someone else? Your salvation doesn't depend on it, but I will ask it another way. If you are unable to forgive that person for what is probably, I'm not going to try to rate their sin against you, but I will say that most likely it was a period of time. It was a few acts, maybe some repeated acts over an extended period of time, but you can probably think, well, it began about this date and ended about this date. 
You have been sinning against God your entire life, and you will not stop. And yet, He has forgiven you. So if you can't understand that, or, or maybe I should put it this way, if you can't forgive that, how can you truly understand the forgiveness of God? And that's what Jesus is saying. As you are forgiving those people, as you understand forgiveness, you will understand the forgiveness from me. Or flip it and say, as you experience forgiveness from me for things that, that I do, will not very likely require any sort of recompense for, yet you daily demand they make up for what they did. That is not forgiveness. That's not the kind of forgiveness that I have shown you. See, this, this forgiveness of our debts is a prayer of intent. God, I intend to seek forgiveness from you while I give forgiveness to others. But it's also a prayer uh, of, of, of a request for help. God, forgive me because I, I just cannot, I cannot be sinless. Help me. Help me get, to overcome that. Sanctify me. But I also am struggling with forgiving these people. And I need to forgive them the way you have forgiven me. So, God, help me. I want it to be this way. Help me make it this way. So when you pray, remember, Jesus said, when you pray, not if, but when you pray, you need to go into that prayer knowing that God provides what you need. Not what you want necessarily, not what you think you need, but what God knows you need. You need to go into that prayer knowing that God provides the faith to go through this time when you think you need more than what you really need. When you think, I need a through J, and God says, right now, you only need A. And I want you to get through this situation with A. And tomorrow or next week, maybe I'll provide B, but that's not your decision, that's my decision. God provides that faith during this prayer, if we will model it the way God, Jesus taught us to, God provides that. When you pray, know that God provides forgiveness. You can experience forgiveness. I'm not talking about, though I'm going to in a minute, talk about, talking about uh, forgiveness that leads to salvation. I'm talking about daily. You've got junk in your life. God can take that. God can fix that. God can smooth over that. God can remove that from your life. God can heal those things in your life. God can do that. God provides forgiveness. But when you pray, not only does God provide forgiveness, but God provides the ability to forgive. Some of you just balked. Some of you are like, you're fine until you got there, but, you know, I just cannot forgive them. Well, I don't care what you say. God says, Jesus tells us, forgive us our debts as we are also forgiving, implying that it will happen. 
as we are forgiving, you forgive. Guys, we've got to forgive people that have hurt us. Now, you know, sometimes forgiveness means you put yourself right back into the situation to get hurt again. Yes, sometimes it means that. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. But he didn't pull himself down off the cross and, 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 and heal the nails and he stayed. He accepted what they were doing to him but prayed for their forgiveness. Stephen, the same thing, as he was stoned, the first Christian martyr, as he was stoned, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But he didn't get up and start throwing rocks back. He stayed and he took the stoning and he died. Sometimes that's what forgiveness of other people means. I'm going to get hurt by them again. It doesn't always mean that. Sometimes it, it, it means I forgive you, but I'm never going to put myself in a position to, to get what I got from you that I'm having to forgive you for now. And that's, that is perfectly fine. I can't tell you which is which. Only God can tell you that. But I am telling you that forgiveness sometimes means one, it sometimes means the other, but it always means forgiving. It always means no longer, I've heard unforgiveness referred to this way. I don't know who said it first. I think maybe Charles Swindoll, but I'm probably wrong about that. It, unforgiveness is me uh, doing something. I think the, the image that I've heard was me drinking poison, expecting it to make you sick. That's what unforgiveness does. I'm not going to forgive you. Ha, 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 ha. And that person is like, well, I don't care. It's only hurting you. It's only affecting not just your relationship with them, but I imagine it affects your relationship with other people as well, and it also affects your relationship with God. And then the last point, when you pray, understand that you can't forgive until you've been forgiven. You can't forgive until you have experienced the fullness of forgiveness through Jesus Christ for your sins. That's the only time you can truly experience forgiveness. You will not know it when you see it until, you will not know it when you try to do it until you experience that kind of forgiveness. And God provides that forgiveness. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The, 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 the provision for that sin has been made. We are all sinners. We're all going to die for that sin, but there is provision for it. God has sent His Son, a gift to save us. And that is the only way. And He did it when we didn't want it. Romans 5.8, but God proves His love to, toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's been done. You, you don't have to do anything to earn your salvation. You don't have to work up to your salvation. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While He knew what we were, He died for us anyway. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then everyone... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.23, or rather 10.13, and Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you, if you know these things, if you believe these things about Jesus, and you just cry out to him, Jesus, save me, 
He will. And when you know that forgiveness, then you can forgive others. And then you can pray this model prayer. You can model your prayer after this prayer and know the peace of forgiveness from and forgiveness to. Let's pray. Lord, I I ask this morning, God, that you would speak to hearts. Lord, if there's someone who doesn't know you as Savior today, that they would respond to this gospel message that is so clearly laid out in Romans. God, I pray that we would hear your voice call us. Lord, today, if, if, if there's somebody who is struggling with whether you will or won't provide what's needed, life looks tough, life looks hard, things are not falling into place, but God, we know that you, you provide. I've got a lot of wants, but, but you're taking care of my needs. Paul said, I've never, I've never gone without. I've had everything I've always needed. I, whether it was good or bad times, whether it's times of plenty or times of want, I've had what I needed. And God, if there's somebody here today who has not forgiven someone else, Lord, if, it, if it's because they've never truly experienced the forgiveness that you offer through Jesus Christ themselves, I pray that they would experience that and then be able to turn that around into forgiveness for others. But Lord, if it's just, just anger and bitterness and hardness of heart that they're harboring because, well, because it feels good. Lord, I pray that they would give that up today. They would open up this, this floodgate of forgiveness from you, not that you have withheld it, but because they have not been able to experience it because of their unforgiveness toward others. I pray today that they would begin to let go of that. God, I pray that we will see you in a, in a much different light today than we did when we came in. I pray that we would be dependent on you daily, that it would be a, an ongoing daily relationship with you, not just a Sunday to Sunday or Sunday to three weeks from now Sunday or, or whatever our, our, our record is or our frequency is. But God, that we would trust you daily daily needs, daily bread, daily forgiveness. Lord, move in this place today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how should you respond? Well, God provides your way of response. What does he need to do in your life? What do you need to do in response to him? The altar will be open for you to pray. I'll be down front to pray with you if that's what you need. This morning, you do something. You respond to God somehow. You've heard his word. Now the onus is on you to respond to him. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's do business with God this morning.